Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend, where we go behind the scenes and talk to the creators of independent entertainment. I'm Jason Godby, and if you've been following the show, you've seen us cover a number of film festivals this year. Uh, the Contra Film Series, the Bowery Film Festival, Soho International Film Festival, the Brooklyn Film Festival, NYC Webfest, and the Bushwick Film Festival. And in addition, we've also started reviewing some indie films. So most of those you can find on our website, NoRestTheWeekendPodcast.com. And today, I want to talk about some of the films that we've been reviewing, including a new film festival, the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, which we covered uh, in October. And to help me do that, uh, I have my good friend who's been on the show before. He's a producer, filmmaker, and now he's a No Rest of the Weekend contributor, Mr. E.J. Argenio. Welcome back, E.J. It's a pleasure to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, for coming, man. I appreciate you schlepping to Brooklyn. I wanted to kind of talk through this stuff with you because uh, you recently kind of signed on to, to help uh, review films, which is great. Mm -hmm. We did not, our policy before was to, we weren't reviewing films. We were going to, you know, the, the, it was like, it's very difficult in the indie scene because, yeah. you know, indie films don't get a lot of ink in general. And I didn't want to review something negatively just because, uh, you know, if you look up a film, I didn't want the only thing to be on it, it a bad review. It's very kind of you. Some people yeah. wouldn't care to get their voice out there. Yeah, so it's I nice mean, of you. Well, <laughs> also, you know, bad reviews are easier to write than good reviews. It's true. I think, you know, it's, it's easier to get out the knives, you know, and mm -hmm. go to town on somebody. But I'm trying not to do that. What I'd like to do is review films that we like. Yep. And if we don't like it, we just won't review it. That, it's you know. fair. Uh, so... And, you know, having said that, we did find some films that we liked. Yep. Uh, I, and particularly, <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted you to help me was with the films in the horror genre. Yep. Because I may have said this on the on the show before, but I'm not a horror fan. You are a horror fan. I enjoy the genre. It's uh, You see a wide variety of films. Not all of them can be great, but you never know what you're getting. So that anticipation is what keeps me eager to keep watching them. When I came to cover Brooklyn Horror Film Fest, which is a very, it's a great fest, uh, I went there, I saw a number of shorts. Uh, the festival is very popular. Like, fans come out for this festival, mm -hmm. which is amazing for a film. Usually, it's, you know, you've been to film festivals. It's just you and a bunch of filmmakers who have their, <laughs> their fest, they're filming the fest. At least we're all basking in each other's glory. Right, exactly. <laughs> but these, I think they were actual fans, you know. And it was kind of a young vibe, sort of a mm -hmm. young hipster vibe there, Brooklyn, very Brooklyn, you know. But, you know, what occurred to me is that horror is such a popular genre in indie, it's, and it's one of the few uh, things that you can make on an indie budget without stars in it and still get distribution for it. Yep. So I wanted to kind of just, before we get into the reviews and stuff, just kind of talk to you a little bit about horror. Like, why do you think, like, hands down, it's probably the most popular genre in indie? Horror is, is a wide range based on the, the person watching the film. So I think when you include the risk that can be taken when making that film, there's a chance that you're gonna see something you haven't seen before. And, and You can be a little bit more daring. Yeah, a little bit more daring, that's the best way to put it. And I think audiences are more eager, if they love, if they love that genre, I think they're gonna see films that maybe consider more classical, you know, your, your standard, you know, Teenager and a, and, a, and a stalker, your 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 monster, your your, your urban film. legends, your slasher films. But you know, I know we're talking indie film, but 
a mainstream film like Get Out became so popular because they took risks telling a horror story from a completely different point of view that hadn't been done before. And I think you see more filmmakers who are willing to do that, and I think audiences really, you know, take to that. Yeah, well, in my uh, in my review of Brooklyn Horror Film Festival on the website, I mentioned uh, Get Out and Jason Blum and how he's kind of built Blumhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, he's built his house on a foundation of <laughs> horror, and you know it's because you can you can do that stuff, and you yeah. can make a horror film without stars in it. You can make it very inexpensively, uh, and you can you can make somebody fifty thousand, two hundred thousand. You know, it doesn't have to be a lot of money, uh, and, and of course that causes the market to be very saturated. But if you know what you're doing, you can make so you can probably get distribution for it, whether it's you know Netflix or the Redbox. You know it'll get some kind and, of distribution. And you mentioned and you mentioned you know you don't need a lot of actors to make a horror film, which which is true. But I even think you know I'll take it a step further. You could have an entire horror film, even if it's 90 to 100 minutes, in one location. Think about that. You could stabilize the structure and planning of your film because you're not going anywhere else. If you want to do something more suspenseful that cuts down on graphic effects and, dig and CGI that you may use in post-production. These are all things that make it easier for the indie filmmaker to, one, produce a film because that's really what they want to do more than anything else. But it also allows them to get creative creative and really improvise with what they have to work with. And this is coming from a guy who manages locations <laughs> and produces movies. So, yeah, from just from a producer a aspect, if you don't have to go, you know, 15 places. Because when I had um, Dan DeFilippo from uh, Pipeline, mm -hmm. he had made a film called Catskill Park, and they made everything within like a three-mile radius. You know, they had the their main location and then a few others, you know, in the woods or whatever. And, you know, they were able to make that movie incredibly cheaply. Uh, and, you know, they may, I think they put some Instagram influencers in it and stuff like that, but they were able to get distribution for that and not pay through the nose trying to make the thing. So it, it has become the fast food genre in a way. <laughs> I, you I know. like that. Uh, but, you know, there are also some good films. We saw some films at, at Brooklyn mm -hmm. Horror Fest. So talk about, you saw one, I didn't see it. Uh, actually, I, I watched a little bit of it, but I was, I was not able to view all of it. You saw a film called A Night of Horror, Nightmare Radio. Nightmare Radio, yes. So uh, give me like a little brief synopsis. We have your review. It's on the website. So if people want to get the in-depth stuff, they can read the review. But give me like a quick synopsis of it. Well, it centers around our narrator, Rod Wilson, who very similarly to you is a you know radio talk show host who has his nightly program, Nightmare Radio. And it's... Uh, a simple show where he exchanges horrific tales ranging from the supernatural to urban legends, but he also incorporates the storytelling with his callers. At the same time, while he may be telling a story, he's willing to listen to one he hasn't heard before. And all of these in vignette form, the viewer, the audience member who's watching this movie, they're sort of taken through each tale, and things escalate where an average night for Ron, at least what seems like an average night, Nah, it's not so average. One of them in particular, the one that got me, without giving anything away, they, they tell a, a story of Willie Bingham, who is a convicted child rapist who also murdered the child. And in this alternate future, I believe he's in Australia, they um, allow the victim's relatives to choose the sentencing. And his punishment is a series of amputations that they show uh, that escalates through time. On top of that, he's actually taken to 
uh, schools for disorderly children, I guess is the best way to put it. And he's used that as an example of if you know if you're not go if you don't get to the straight and narrow, you're going to go down a dangerous path. And this is the type of um, punishment you could get for a future crime you may commit. So it's kind of a morality tale in that way, but just bit. really in the extreme. In the in the extreme, yes. See, this is this is why I need you to watch these movies for me because I'm never going to watch that. Film. <laughs> I'm never going to watch that movie. Uh, it's just not my. I, it's not my thing. I mean, I know, and that's that's the other uh, part of it is like there there's an audience for that mm -hmm. that really digs that stuff. Yep. I am not one of them. I never have been. Uh, but you found the film. You said you you found the film as an as an effective film. You like? I enjoyed it because. Not a lot surprises me nowadays, but for a film to actually have you gasp at a certain point and to catch you off guard, sure, we've seen a lot of horror films, or at least I would hope you have, and there's some things you might be able to predict, but when something catches you off guard or something hits closer to home, I think there's nothing scarier than that. So we saw some other films as well. Uh, I, we saw a film called This Is Our Home, which is another feature, which uh, Simone Policano stars in. She has been on the show uh, for the other film that she was in this year. Did an excellent job, by the way. She's fantastic in the film. Uh, the film is... How would you describe that? Like, just give me like the synopsis of This well, Is Our Home. It's, well, it's an interesting film. Well, the gist of it is a couple, after dealing with a traumatic decision in their lives and sort of moving on from a sensitive, emotional incident without giving too much away, they go to her childhood home just to get away and sort of regroup and rethink. And they, uh, on the first night, they get a knocking on the door. And who's there but a small boy? who keeps calling them mommy and daddy because he's claiming to be their son. And that tragic incident I mentioned, that was the loss of their unborn child. The one thing I noticed about that film, too, is the, the director, um, he, he has this like sort of technique where they, they kind of take you to a point where something's going to happen, and then they cut. Yeah. And then they, they take it to the point something's going to happen, and then they cut away. Uh, trying to, you know, it's sort of trying to keep you guessing. The first time it happened, I wasn't sure if it was more just a, a poor edit, which I found very hard to believe, because why would it be accepted into film festivals if the post-production was poor? But then as it happened, I realized what they were going for, and it's, it's, it's a very fun film to analyze and sort of process and discuss afterward, because there's so, so many different messages, and the meaning of the film... I mean, I can't get into it without getting away, but right. what they're going for is something so modern and something I think a lot of couples can relate to. It's, and those are the horror films that I always like a little bit more. But just going back to what we were talking about earlier, simple cast, man, woman, child. One location. One location. A forest, which is very conventional and typical. You know, that a road trip. Things that have all come up in the horror genre before, things that we could say, oh, we see. And so it makes us feel comfortable right away, but our brain gets to pick apart the story as it's evolving. Yeah, I thought uh, technically the movie was well done. I thought it was uh, well directed. I thought the performances were very good. Mm -hmm. uh, Simone's terrific in it. Uh, the kid is actually quite He's good quite in it. He's quite good. Um, the, um, what I noticed were these sort of slow Kubrickian zooms. Yes. Uh, which uh, I, we'll, we'll talk about that in the next project as well. <laughs> It's sort of a, I, I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's a Kubrick thing. Particularly, that's where I've noticed at first was like mm -hmm. the Barry Lyndon zoom. Yes. Or like, in, and he uses them in The Shining a bit. So I, I saw the director doing that as well. Um, the old, My only criticism of the film was I kind of wish there were a bit more of it. 
I think yeah. it's because it, it's it clocks in at about seventy three minutes, seventy four minutes. Yeah, it's and very I was, short. Could have used another. And usually the ninety minute movie gets me a little discouraged, but you know because of shows like um, Black Mirror, Electric Dreams, you could have an hour long, well produced narrative. I guess that's the best way to put it because you don't want to call this a TV show and you don't want to call those movies, but they could be either or. And I think that makes it interesting. So we've we've you know, been able to be scared and told a good story over the course of a short period of time. But there were a couple of holes that, you know, for an interview on this show, I have I have a million of them and can really have a great conversation about it. But as a viewer in that moment, just kept me wanting a little bit more. You know, with shows like Black Mirror and the new Twilight Zone, <laughs> you know, I've seen, and this is something I've seen too in a lot of, you know, modern day thriller horror mm -hmm. films. I go, you know what, that's a Black Mirror episode. Or that's a um, that's a new Tales from the Crypt or a new uh, Twilight Zone type of thing. Mm -hmm. well, you're going to see more and more of that because a lot of these filmmakers who are coming up into the genre are raised on television. Yeah, you know, and for that, I I, I think you know it was pretty effective film. Uh, I just wish there were a little bit more meat in my sandwich, you know. Uh, but uh, moving on, so um, another uh, short this is a short horror film. Since we're on the topic of horror, I'll stay with mm -hmm. horror. So uh, I don't know if you know Film Riot, but uh, I'm familiar with it. Film Riot is a very popular YouTube channel, and if you're a filmmaker, it's great to know these guys. Check them out, Film Riot on YouTube. They have got a million, like a lot of advice and a lot of great tools, tutorials. I've learned a lot from them over the years, and they've been doing it since I want to say '06 or something like that. Sounds so, about right. Since the early days of YouTube. So Ryan Connolly, who's the man behind Film Riot, and uh, he's put out, I don't know, 15 short films in the time that they've, they've mm -hmm. done it. He just put out a film this year, sort of a little Halloween treat uh, called There Comes a Knocking. Mm -hmm. And we both watched it uh, recently. Uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it looked great. I thought the acting was very good. It's a very short film. I, I think it clocks in a total of like nine minutes. And but I think seven minutes of actual yeah. like There's like three time. minutes of credits yeah. at the end. So Which like, were beautifully done, yeah. uh, you know, taking it through the actual door that they're showing. But it's a woman dealing with uh, some personal grief. And I think it deals more with the haunting and the acceptance of that grief and moving on from it. And... I don't think she's quite willing to let that happen yet. It's really interesting because we go from, uh, you know, terms of endearments kind of uh, <laughs> drama yeah. in uh, in a very short to you know horror film, and it's it's very it's very well done, very good cinematography, uh, very well edited. Uh, Connolly has gotten to a part where after all of these, his, his mantra has been write, shoot, edit, repeat. Write, shoot, edit, repeat, and he's been doing that for years. And you know, if you're a filmmaker out there, that's a good mantra. And as a result, he's gotten really good. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been really good at at making short films. This is proof of concept for a feature, so I'm kind of anxious I to see what that's going to be. I, yeah, that's the first thing I thought. I want to see how this feature goes because there's a lot they could really get into. But what amazed me is, since it was only you know nine minutes with credits, I sat through the entire credits, and usually you expect to see a long list, regardless of the film. I mean, I worked, I did a sh you know short film in the field that we discussed a few years ago, and that had you know close to you know 35, 40 people working on it, and that was only 15 minutes for a film total with total run length of nine minutes with credits. The credits itself were amazing. The number of people working on it, the number of contributors, and that just shows you, even in a film like this, how 
what it takes to get something like this accomplished. It takes a village. It takes a village, yeah. The other thing I liked about it, too, is, like, again, very few characters, one main character, one location. Mm-hmm. Uh, very one part of that location. They yeah. didn't go upstairs. They just yeah. stayed on the same floor. Uh, and it was very effective. And the whole thing centers around this door that she installs in the beginning of the film. And it, I think it works very well. I think, uh, and there's also a making of it on their channel if you want to check that out. That's cool. uh, I posted the, uh, it'll, it's on the website. The, the short film with the review is on the website if you want to check that out as well. Um, but I think all these, especially for uh, our indie filmmaker audience, mm-hmm. these are great films to check out because you're not going to, my, my, now my personal theory, and maybe you agree, I don't know, but. My personal theory is you're not going to make a great short film or you're not going to make a great indie film if all you ever watch is like Avengers 4. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and huge budget action films and things like that. It, you can you can be inspired by that, but you know, the you don't have 150, 200 million, 300 million dollars to make took, a movie. You took the words right out of my mouth cuz that's literally where I was going next because if if you're afraid to make something, say you have you have a premise for an idea and you don't know how to totally go for it and don't know if you want to go through the work making it. Seeing these films and especially the short horror films, I think that's even harder because we, you know, we're talking about features and looking for more time. So to do do a good horror short, you really have to believe in, 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 in your story, no matter, you know, how long that may be. But I think just by witnessing some of the other works that are out there and the risks other people are willing to take, I think that'll not only help you stay away from certain things and give you an idea like this doesn't work, but I think it also might encourage you to say, wow, they did this. I would never expect to see something like this here. You know what I mean? It'll give you, it'll open your mind up to further possibilities. And I think you need that as a filmmaker, because if you're closed minded, I mean, not only is a story and a script constantly evolving, but even when you're on set, those days are constantly evolving. Like, how are you going to shoot it? The limitations of that day, you may decide to do something or see a vision that you didn't expect to see. And I think being open to that possibility is just exciting for a filmmaker. Yeah, one of the things that I I liked about the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, like I said, was the amount of fans there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this genre definitely has a real fan base. It's got a a bunch of people that are willing to go out for this stuff. It doesn't need to cost a lot of money. And these films can endure. Like something like Nightmare Radio, who knows? If that catches on, it could be the next Tales from the Dark Side. It could be the next, you know. And what I loved about Nightmare Radio, just going back to that real quick, is one of my favorite films from the 80s, Oliver Stone's Talk Radio, which was a play written by Eric Bogosian and then actually brought back 10 years ago onto Broadway starring Liev Schreiber. But it's it's based on a similarly true, similarly... Based on actual events, I guess is the best way to put it. I was sure, trying sure. to find the words of, of a DJ in um, a late night talk show host in Dallas. But the whole film, one location. I mean, it was about an hour and 40 minutes. They may have had a scene in a house or two. But the whole film takes place in his studio and shows him going from an impassioned host to an angry one. And he's actually, the horror for him, even though it's not necessarily considered a horror film, it can be considered horrific because his audience decides to take the vengeance out on him that he's taking out on them. And it's sort of, you know, he uh, he gets bit by his own sword or clipped by his own sword, mm. I guess, if you will. And 
when I just heard the title, I go, okay, I, I guarantee they were inspired, but I want to see how this plays into an actual horror film where they're willing to say, no, this is a horror movie. And, and, it, and it paid off. With films like that and with some of the other films that we've seen, uh, a, couple, a lot of the post elements matter. Uh, not just, you know, cinematography, sound, things like that, but music is huge. Music was very big. And both uh, This Is Our Home and Nightmare Radio, good scores. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and also There Comes a Knocking, great score, uh, well edited. Uh, the, the, just the color palette is one of the things I wrote about, is just going from, uh, you know, and, this, and There Comes a Knocking, there is the first scene where she's alone in the house and she's playing the... In this, in, yes. at night when she's playing the, the, the answering machine yeah. message. So you, you hear that, and then uh, that's very warm. That's reds and orange and brown. And then when the noise you know, comes from down the hall, mm -hmm. it's all blue. So you go from sort of this warm candlelight kind of thing to more like this moonlight, mm -hmm. and that gives you a change in tone. That tells you, you know, oh, we're in a different movie now. Yeah. Just going back to Nightmare Radio, the use of the color red was was abundant, but in a good way. And there were other, a lot of other schemes that they were able to work in. And yes, some of them must have been worked in in post. It's not just you know day of, but um, you know through gels. But I really loved the color used in the makeup of their creatures. It wasn't CGI, it was an actual actor, and they actually put the time and effort to detail these beasts' skin, if you will. I guess call them beasts, I don't want to call them monsters, but, you know, these abnormalities, these physical abnormalities, and the color that they used in that makeup added to the overall color scheme of the film. But then in a film like This Is Our Home, light, dark, light, dark, and where and how they placed that, how they made things dark, you know, whether it's her putting the child to bed at night Ooh. and that overhead light, or whether it's this room in the house that no one's supposed to go in, but we never see what's in the room. And everywhere, the, 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 the narrow lighting as she climbs the stairs, that, you know, the way that's used, it, it, it's not just what we're seeing disturbingly that's scary at times it's that unknown and I think that's why going back to our discussion of the fans in the genre I think that's why there are so many because the range in which you can scare an audience is so wide that it could be anything from simple from color and lighting to actual physical horror yeah because we, we all have different things that scare us mm -hmm. and you know something like you know, nightmare radio where you've got physical creatures and amputations and blood and guts is much different than something like This Is Our Home where it's all in the mind. You know, it's all very psychological. And, and I have to point out, the casting of James White as our narrator turned protagonist, Rod Wilson, was perfect because as someone in radio, you need a good voice to grip you in. And his voice was encapsulating but also disturbing enough that you just you knew something was up with him. And I, I think that carried things a long way. As he's telling these stories, you know, it's, uh, it's one thing when it's, it's just well-spoken but to have that grit something you would like want to like i'd love to know if he's in a in a metal or a rock band because mm. i can definitely see him you know being the front man for he for, smokes for the right band. amount of cigarettes exactly sort of thing. exactly yeah. yeah anyway i'm gonna wrap up but uh ej where can we find you on the web 
You can find me uh, on Facebook, EJR Genio. You can find me on Twitter, at EJR Genio. Same for Instagram, EJR Genio. Did you spell that EJ and then A-R-G-E-N-I-O. And thank you for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more episodes, you can always find them on the website, norestoftheweekendpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And now we're on Patreon, so you can find us on patreon.com slash norestoftheweekend. Uh, once again, thanks so much, EJ, for coming out. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.